Ladies and gentlemen, good evening and welcome to Super Bowl 34 as we now meet the National Football Conference champion, St. Louis Rams. I was thinking that this is a world championship game and a world championship game should come down to something like the situation we found ourselves in. Two great football teams with a lot of great football players, two great quarterbacks competing against each other, and I just thought it was, by gosh, the way it ought to be. Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of The Narrative, a podcast by Sports Illustrated. I am Alex Abnos. That voice you just heard is Dick Vermeil, and if you're a fan of football, then you probably know who he is. In each of his three NFL coaching stops, he brought teams with losing records into the playoffs. He did this in Philadelphia, he did this in St. Louis, and he did it in Kansas City. Go Chiefs. However, of those three, St. Louis is probably his most impressive turnaround. The team, the Rams, moved from Los Angeles to St. Louis in 1995. They were pretty bad afterwards for a while. But in three years, Dick Vermeil built what at the time was a high-powered offense unlike anything the NFL had seen to that point. They called it the greatest show on turf. Vermeil's work culminated with an appearance in the Super Bowl, the first of the new millennium in 2000, Super Bowl 34. And ironically, yeah, the Rams won that Super Bowl, but they won it on a defensive play. Nowadays, that play is known simply as the tackle or one yard short, all sorts of names. Now, this podcast is a story about that moment where St. Louis was delivered a Super Bowl championship, how it came together, what the people involved saw, and so forth. It's narrated by Don Banks, so I'll be stepping aside here in a second, but before I do, let's set up the game. Now, the Rams had played well in the first half, they had control of the game, and they were playing the Tennessee Titans. And the Titans went into halftime, they needed to figure out a way to get back into it. Now, the Titans' coach at the time was Jeff Fisher, who and I'm really sorry if this is confusing, he's currently the coach of the Rams, who are moving back to Los Angeles from St. Louis. Okay, you got all that? Good. I'll let Jeff Fisher take it away, and then Don, and then you'll hear from me at the end. Thanks for listening. Hope you enjoy it. You know, we went into the locker room down 9 nothing. <laughs> Super Bowl halftimes are long, and so we had plenty of time, and we just... We all committed to get back to doing what we did that got us there. What got the Titans there was the hard-nosed, physical style of play that running back Eddie George and quarterback Steve McNair epitomized. The Titans were methodical and punishing on both sides of the ball, and in those playoffs, they developed a flair for the dramatic. Ever heard of the Music City Miracle? Going to be fielded by Lorenzo Neal at the 25. Yeah, Pitches it, it back to Wycheck. He throws it across the field to Dyson. He's got something. 30, He's 40, got something. 50, He's got it. 40, He's got it. 20, 10, He's got it. End zone. Touchdown, Titans. There are no flags on the field. It's a miracle. Tennessee has pulled a miracle. That was just three weeks before the Super Bowl against St. Louis. They were in a grinded-out mood, banging on us, you know, yes, quarterback scrambling and converting first downs and those kinds of things, and I sensed we were being worn down. The Rams could only manage a trio of field goals in the first half before finally getting into the end zone with a Kurt Warner pass to Torrey Holt. 
The Titans were down 16 to nothing. Then they started their comeback. Eddie George scored two rushing touchdowns, but the Titans failed on a two-point conversion after the first score. The Titans' defense kept the Rams' offense stymied, forcing two three-and-outs. Crucially, this also served to keep the Rams' defense on the field for the majority of the second half. I was very concerned at that point about going into overtime because they had dominated the second half in terms of time of possession. And I felt if we could get it over before overtime, we'd have a hell of a lot better chance of winning a football game. The Titans completed their comeback with 2-12 remaining in the game on an Al Del Greco field goal to make it 16-all. The kickoff to St. Louis was just before the two-minute warning, and during a TV timeout, the Rams waited and plotted. I believe we were on the field during the TV timeout. That's Isaac Bruce, veteran wide receiver for the Rams. You know, really enjoying the moment. I was, you know, just checking out the faces, faces in the huddle. Uh, my huddle, the faces on, on the, in the Titans huddle. Meanwhile, Kurt Warner prepared for the quick strike drive that he would long be remembered for. I had a conversation with Coach Vermeil, who came down uh, as I was waiting to go onto the field, and Coach Vermeil kind of looked over at me and said, this is the way you've always dreamed it, is two minutes to go in the Super Bowl, ball in your hands, a chance to make history. Now go finish the dream. And I was trying to transmit that thought and energy and confidence to everybody. That's why we're here to be in this kind of game, in this kind of competition, with so little time left. It, it shouldn't be any other way. And, um, and it was exactly what was going through my mind as I was you know, on the sideline, is that this is what I had dreamed for and I had worked for and all the, the time the, the, the wrong turns and the forks in the road that, that I took throughout my career. Fast forward to the dream I had so many times growing up in my front yard, and here it was right in front of me with a chance in, in really my first year, my first year playing, to kind of you know stamp my, my place in, in history. Funny thing about it, you know, it's those, those are the moments where you remind yourself that, you know, Hey, this is this is this is where you've been in your backyard millions of times and this moment isn't bigger than you. The Titans were depleted on defense, playing shorthanded in the defensive secondary. Marcus Robertson was hurt, our starting safety in the championship game. He broke his leg. And then Blaine Bishop went out uh, of the game. I think it was in the third quarter. So we were playing with two backup safeties. And Warner's focus was just getting a lead. Any kind of lead would do. My mindset was more just, you know, drive us down, make good decisions, put us in field goal range, and we'll kick the game winner to win it. But on the Rams' sideline, Vermeil and offensive coordinator Mike Martz were impatient. I was talking to Mike Martz, my offensive coordinator, in that I saw their coverages and they were all up very, very tight. We talked about the Titans playing what we call a high shoulder technique in man coverage, meaning they don't drop underneath the receiver. They try to stay high on the receiver so you can't throw the ball over the top of them. So we had talked and worked all week on throwing the back shoulder, kind of setting it um, you know, back behind our receiver. So defender is up high, our receiver's underneath him, throw the ball a little bit to the back shoulder so he can adjust to it and catch it, but the, the defender never has a chance to. 
And I, I just felt, and I didn't call the play. I just said, Mike, I don't think they could cover us with that tight of coverage. And we've got to go after them or something like that. Mike Martz calls a play that uh, we had worked on all week long, that this was a play that we thought we could have success on. And it was uh, a play called Trips Right, Ace Ride 999, FC Mage Balloon. And so really, uh, in backyard football, it's, Everybody go deep, Uh, you know, all go routes across the board. I'd seen the coverage that they ran on that particular play a couple times. I was going to have one-on-one on on the outside um, and had Isaac Bruce off to my right. When I heard the play, Twins right, Ace right, 999, I mean, I just knew within myself that, you know, the football was coming to me. I mean, I was prepared to catch it. I was prepared to run my route, and I knew the ball was coming. The play gets underway. At the 27-yard line, to throw. But let's take a break from the Rams' side for a second and focus on the Titans, specifically a rookie pass rusher in the midst of a sensational debut season. His name, Javon Curse. His nickname, The Freak. Hello. To this day, that's still what plays instead of a standard ring when you call him. Anyway, as the play develops, like so many times before that season, Curse's goal was to get to the quarterback. He did, but he didn't. Once I get out on the ball, get my penetration, and I see Kurt, I see him winding up for this long throw, and all I can think of, oh man, Tory Hope, Oz Hakeem, Ike Bruce, somebody is going to do something right now. Curse was close to a sack, excruciatingly close. I reached my hand out to try to block the ball. I missed the ball, and it's like I gave Kurt the perfect high five. And I figured, like, wow, great job, great pressure. Let me turn around and see our guy intercept this ball. But things would go a little differently. The target for Warner's pass was Isaac Bruce, being defended by Titans cornerback Denard Walker. So I was kind of trotting down the field, you know, running, running down the field. And, uh, you know, my eyes were back towards, you know, the time when it's, when that football should be in the air. So when I look back and my eyes widen, he looks back and, and, uh, he tries to find the football. Well, I see the football and my inside hand is kind of on his back. Now, as he's turning, you know, I nudge him a little bit on upfield to cut back towards the football to attack the football in the air. You know, you still have the halftime shows smoke still in the ceiling. So the ball breaks through that smoke. I catch it and everything went slow motion from there. I mean, I, I, I feel the defender that's on me. I feel him fall and then I make one guy miss. I see Oz to my right hand. And once he gets a block on number 21, which is my role, I knew it was going to be a race to the end zone then. So my eyes immediately go on the Jumbotron. And this is, I mean, who does this in a football game, in a live football game? But my eyes go to the Jumbotron. And, you know, I see myself running. And I'm, I'm like, wow, somebody's, somebody's doing something big here. And it's me. And, you know, my eyes go down to the 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 people on the first row in the end zone. I see them. I see the eyes. I see Titan fans. I see Rams fans cheering, standing up. I see uh, 
smiley faces. I see frown faces, faces of exasperation. And I see a guy, when I put my eyes back on the jumbotron, I see a guy chasing me. This one last guy misses my legs. And, you know, and then I see, you know, my offensive lineman. I always say I saw Orlando Pace in the background in the jumbotron with his big paw in the air. 73 yards. I thought I barely made it in the end zone uh, to the front pylon and crossed over to out of bounds. That's what I thought. But, you know, I, I nearly ran through the middle of the end zone. And from there, I mean, I remember getting on one knee, giving thanks uh, to God. And then from there, you know, I just found my teammates. Did Curse's pressure lead Warner to slightly underthrow the ball, allowing Bruce to make the key adjustment? If I was there a second sooner, the throw would never even got off. If I was there a second later, it would have been it would have been like a full throw with, with a full follow through, and our defensive back he was in a position to either intercept the pass or knock it down. Versus he didn't react to the unthrown ball, which I Bruce did, and that's what happened, and there you have it. Whether the throw was by design based on what we had all talked about or whether it was based on the fact that uh, I was getting hit by Javon Curse that left the ball a little bit short, regardless of, of what played into that, um, the ball was thrown perfectly in regards to what we wanted to do. In an instant, the Rams had a seven-point lead but there was still a minute 54 remaining on the clock. Derek Mason returned the kickoff to the 27, but a holding penalty on the Titans knocked him back to the 12. They had 88 long yards to go. I mean, there's not a whole lot to tell them at that point. You don't have a whole lot of time. That's Titans coach Jeff Fisher again. You know, at that point, hey, at that point, it's over now. We got, we're, we're shifting gears to offense. That drive would heavily involve Kevin Dyson, the man who would later be at the center of one of the most memorable plays in Super Bowl history. We're backed up there. You know, it was just, here we go. It was a calmness in the huddle. Um, it was, I don't think anybody in that huddle, matter of fact, I know nobody in that huddle had a doubt that we would get it done. But many players on the overtaxed Rams defense, like defensive end Kevin Carter, were running on fumes. That was the tiredest I'd ever been in my life. It was the most I ever pushed myself, both physically and psychologically, in my life. I mean, not only was it the culmination of the entirety of an NFL season, which is long in and of itself, a playoff run to the Super Bowl is even longer. We didn't have the week off that they typically have in between the winning the NFC Championship game and going to the Super Bowl. I mean, it was so, it was such a a battle to keep your focus just on the fact that you were playing in the Super Bowl in front of, you know, millions of people all around the world, but you had to really settle down and just play football. So at that moment, having to go back out on the field, I mean, I was just done. And, and I, I had to compose myself and, and just go out there and, 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 and finish. The Titans went to work. On the first play, quarterback Steve McNair hit Dyson for nine yards. Next came a seven-yard completion to tight end Frank Wycheck. Then quickly, an incomplete pass to Dyson before the Rams started contributing to Tennessee's efforts. 
On two straight plays, the Rams were called for penalties. First, a face mask on a 12-yard scramble by McNair, and then an offsides. The killer flags handed the Titans 20 free yards. Suddenly, Tennessee was on the Rams' 40-yard line. So, you know, we, we didn't start off as well as we would like, but we thought, you know, we're going to stop. That's Rams linebacker Mike Jones. You probably already know his name because you know how this Super Bowl ended. And then, you know, it just seemed like every play, you know, either we got a penalty or they made a play, and you're just sitting there looking like, okay, this isn't going like it typically goes. And it was, you know, one play, they get six or seven yards. And then another play, we might get, they might get three or four, but we got a penalty. And then we got an offside penalty. Then we got it. Then we got a face mask penalty. You know, we were looking around on defense, and we weren't looking at each other, um, yelling or panicked or angry or you know, come on, dude. I know how can you commit a penalty in this situation? Come on, what are you doing? It wasn't. There was never any finger pointing on that team. It was all about. We knew that someone would come through. Meanwhile, the Rams' sideline was dying a thousand deaths. I mean, it was kind of like you were watching a, you know, like a television drama, you know, that was reaching its climax. So, um, and it's not like you can reach a hand through the television and make an adjustment. I'll never forget that Kevin and DeMarco, two of our best pass rushers, best players, uh, came over to the sideline in the middle of that drive because they were completely exhausted. You know, and Coach Vermeil was like, oh my gosh, how, how can you come out of the game at this point? But because of the way... Eddie George had physically worn them down, and Steve McNair just continued to make plays, and they were chasing him around that entire second half. These guys were just completely gassed. I think it's just the epitome of what that game was all about, is that everybody left everything on the football field. And I got very, very concerned, and I was talking to Mike Martz in the press box. I said, Mike, get ready for overtime. You know, more or less saying, don't watch the game. Get your head together in case we go into overtime and get our first drive put together in your mind. Because it it looked like they were going to score. It felt like they were going to score. And a large reason it felt that way was the heroics of Steve McNair. The Titans' tough-minded quarterback had been accurate with his throws and elusive on his feet all game long. And he seemed to be willing Tennessee to victory. I mean, they had three defensive penalties, but nonetheless, Steve did a lot of work on that drive. I mean, in Steve's mind, there was no way we weren't going to get the ball in the end zone. And he's going to figure out a way to do it. That's how he was. The play-by-play description for what McNair did next sounds simple enough. A 16-yard pass completed to Dyson. But that doesn't begin to tell the whole story. McNair, looking over the middle. Looking to run, now steps back, rolls left. Rolls right in bad trouble back at the 40. He gets away somehow. Fires downfield. There's Dyson. Dyson at the timeout. 10. Ball timeout. He's tackled at the 10. The Titans ask for timeout. Under heavy pressure, McNair scrambles in the pocket and is converged on by Carter and defensive lineman Jay Williams. Both get their hands on him at one point, but they can't bring him down. He gets away somehow and completes a pass to Dyson down to the 10. You look at that play, that shouldn't even happen. But Mac has two guys dangling, hanging off of him, and he finds a way to break free. Now all I got to do is just make myself available, and he, he located me and was able to make a play. Were it not for what happened on the very next play, McNair's Houdini Act may be remembered as the play of the game. From the 10, 
with just six seconds remaining, the Titans had the Rams on their heels with a chance to tie the game at the end of regulation. And all Javon Kurse and Kurt Warner could do was watch. That play seemed like it took eternity. That play looked like it was like 10 minutes going on, like 10 minutes with that one play. Well, I, I often tell uh, my boys and the, the people that I coach, the greatest part of football is that it's a team sport. But I also tell them the toughest part of, of football is that it's a team sport. That when you don't have the ball in your hands and you're com- it's completely out of your control, it is one of the hardest things. Um, and that's how I felt. You feel hopeless on the sideline because all of your trust is in the other guys. And there's nothing you can do at that moment to help your team win. And so standing over there on the sideline, um, you know, that minute 54 seemed like, you know, three hours. Just watching it play out and watching Steve McNair methodically move the team down the field. And, you know, you're just hoping for one play. You know, the nerves, the anxiety starts to build up because you you just see that it's getting closer and closer and closer. And, um, you know, what you had dreamed of just a couple minutes before uh, when you throw that touchdown pass, now that disappears, um, and you're hoping that you can hold on to it. The Titans elect to run a play where Dyson and Wycheck are their two primary receivers both lined up to the right. Wycheck's assignment is to run straight into the end zone, with Dyson slanting underneath to the left, shy of the goal line. The idea there is kind of give Frank the either take two with them and, and, and free me, or if, if they don't double Frank and he gets the one-on-one, you go ahead and give Frank opportunity to make a play. Dyson comes in motion, now resettles. McNair drops, throws right side for Dyson. McNair saw daylight on Dyson's underneath route and hit him in stride just inside the Rams' five. Eddie's wide open on the other side of the field. <laughs> He's wide open, probably walks in, but Steve's read was, you know, with Kevin. I'm like, wow, that's what I got. It's definitely the one who came through for us against the Bills. I think there's something going to happen right now. You know, the first thing that I remember when he that last pass was, was that he didn't throw it into the end zone. So as soon as that happened, there was a little bit of hope in me that, okay, it's not just about the catch. You know, he can catch this ball because he won't be in the end zone, and we'll have a chance to rally and make the tackle. Dyson caught the ball and for a split second looked to be running free to the end zone. But Jones, who had dropped his coverage of Wycheck at this point, was now bearing down full bore from the right. If he carries Frank a little bit longer... I walk in the end zone, but with the end zone being there to protect him, protect the throw is kind of another defender, becomes the fourth defender. He didn't have to carry Frank as much. So I'm I'm running with Wycheck, but I'm looking at him the whole time and thinking he doesn't know that I'm coming downhill when, all honesty, he knew exactly what I was doing and knew that I was going to be coming downhill. He thought he would beat me to a spot. Um, and so I, I saw him there. But the way his body position was in regards to mine, you did, I didn't think he'd be able to make the play. But he did, and it's the play that won the Super Bowl for St. Louis. He dives for the end zone! He didn't make it. He came up one yard short. The Rams win by a yard. You know, Mike Jones, I mean, you can go back and watch that tackle a million times. 
And, you know, he had to make a picture-perfect tackle where he was able to take both legs of Kevin Dyson out. Otherwise, there's a pass to the end zone, even if he just bangs him, where he probably is able to lunge and score. But Mike does a great job of, of getting both legs and taking them out from under him so he doesn't have, you know, any strength to be able to lunge towards the end zone. Dyson made one last futile attempt to break the plane of the end zone, but Jones had stopped him one yard short. It, it was the, the height of Mr. Replay kind of coming back, and I knew it was such a close play in, in the magnitude of the game that I was hoping that we got kind of an instant replay, that they would take the time to review it and, and see, and then maybe I got the tip of the ball, ball across, but I knew. I think Keith Lyle or either Todd smacked it out of uh, Kevin's hand, and they, they were saying, you know, no, no go, no go, no go. And right then, I looked up, and, you know, the clock hit zero, zero. You know, from where we have to stand inside the, the player and coach's box, you don't have a great angle of whether he got in or not. So all you see is the reach and the tackle, and your eyes immediately go to the clock, and you see that it's all zeros, and then you try to find a referee to see if they're uh, signaling for a touchdown or they're signaling that the game is over. I watched the, the jumbotron, and I, and I saw that his knee was down, and he reached out, and he didn't make it, and I knew that, that you know, the Rams were Super Bowl champs. And you see the ball come up a yard short, then I like to seem like everything just paused for a second. I'm like, uh, they should have count that. I think we should have count that one, but no, and all that confetti started falling. Um, guys are jumping around, you know, guys are laughing, crying. Coach Vermeil's walking up and he's, he's shaking everyone's hand with tears in his eyes saying, you're a Super Bowl champion. But the significance of his game-defining tackle was lost, at least at first, on Mike Jones, the man of the moment. Well, well I didn't realize at first the, the magnitude of the play. I, and, I, and, I, and I say this all the time, and I don't want to make it seem like it wasn't a great play or it wasn't anything that you, know, that you should be proud of. I just, it's just something that I, do, I used to do all the time. I was a linebacker, and I was supposed to make tackles. And I didn't realize it until... Two hours after the game, hour and a half, I was in the locker room. You know, we had a celebration. You know, I, had to, I hurt my ankle, and I was the last guy leaving the training room, the locker room. So everyone was gone. And Peter King walks up to me. I don't know why Peter King was in there, but he was sitting there, and he, he just looked at me like, you realize that's like probably one of the greatest players in Super Bowl history. And I just kind of looked at him like, I didn't, I never looked at it that way. But, you know, he's like, it's the last play of the Super Bowl at the end of the game. He said, "You didn't really that you didn't take that in when it happened." I was like, "I was so tired of the game. I was just happy that we won, and that was about it." But I never looked at it like that. Mike was with us from the beginning. We signed him as a free agent from the Raiders, and he demonstrated leadership ability all through the three years of building that team. He was the spokesperson for the team. Sometimes coming to talk to me about concerns and complaints. And uh, I had a real good understanding relationship with him. And I think the entire team, not only the defensive team, respected him. And uh, I sort of think they, if they were going to ask one guy to make the play, they would ask him to do it. 
Um, it was a great game. I mean, it was a great game. I mean, we came back and played uh, football that got us there. There were great efforts in that game all around on both sides. And uh, it was a hard-fought game, and, and it was just kind of one of those things that we came up, uh, you know, a yard short, and, and they won. Um, hats off to the Rams. It was a damn good one. Rams 23, Titans 16, in a game that turned on the most famous yard in Super Bowl history. Super Bowl 34 was the first Super Bowl of the new millennium, and it will forever be remembered for its dramatic final play, a play that unfolded in slow motion. This episode of the Narrative Podcast was produced by me, Alex Abnos, and narrated by Don Banks. Thank you so much for your time listening. I hope you enjoyed the show. And if you did, and you would like for other people to know about it or to have more insight into the, into the stories uh, behind the moments in sports that you see every day, leave us a review. That might be honestly the best way for other people to find out about the show. If you're in iTunes, if you're in Stitcher, uh, if you're in Pocket Cast, whatever your podcast deliverer of choice is, there's probably some sort of option to leave a review or leave a rating, however many stars. If you enjoy the show, write a couple words. Don't write a couple words. Write more than a couple words. Whatever you want, as long as you leave a review and let us know what you think. Uh, it'll really help other people find the show. It'll help us rank uh, on these particular services. And it would mean a lot to me, personally. Now, speaking of me, personally, if you would like to hear from me on a regular basis on the internet for some reason, I am on Twitter at A-N-A-B-N-O-S. That's Anabnos, not the Abnos. We have much more to come on the narrative, much more stories just like this. So if you like them, please subscribe and stay tuned. In the meantime, let's get ready for football season.